This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Amen and amen. Give the Lord praise one more time. First of all, thank you for the birthday greetings. I uh, Wow, it took me a long time last night, but I went through social media, and I don't get on social media, but I went on last night and just read, you know how it is, you try to track it, and someone shares something, and then you got to go on their feed and read it, Uh, but I spent probably an hour last night just reading through all of your comments. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Kenny and I love you. I feel honored, and it's a joy to be your pastor. It's a joy to partner with you in building the kingdom of God, and I say that from from the bottom of my heart. We love you guys, and you make pastoring a joy, I have to tell you. I hear about these pastors that have hard congregations, and it's difficult, and it's weighty. You make pastoring a joy for all of our pastors. So I just want you to know we love you guys, and I thank you for the greetings today. Today we're going to look at, a.k.a. Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. Say that with me. The Lord is peace, a.k.a. Jehovah Shalom. Now this is a timely word because we're living in a time and an age where there is so much turmoil. I mean, you look around and you walk through what we've walked through the last several years, especially in South Florida. We've witnessed shootings at school. I mean, it's almost weekly that we hear about turmoil that's happening somewhere around us. Because Florida is open, so many are coming into South Florida and our state. We see accidents almost daily. We hear about tragedies that are happening around us rioting that's happening throughout the United States, uh, racial divides, global pandemic, gun shootings, relational conflict. I mean, we could go on and on. There's turmoil all around us, fear everywhere. Probably the greatest thing that many are dealing with, one of probably the worst things of all, is when there's turmoil in your soul. When your soul is filled with pain and anxiety and fear and depression, when there's a war inside of you, that turmoil that you feel inside, and there are some watching today that are hearing this message today, that you have to be honest and say, there is a war inside right now. That's the worst turmoil that we could ever feel. We change the word turmoil. We don't like that. The word turmoil now gets called drama, right? There's so much drama that's happening. My boys say it all the time, drama. Can't handle that drama, that drama, that drama. How many have used that word in the last couple weeks? So much drama. And it just seems like it's everywhere around. But the Lord is saying to us today that he is Jehovah Shalom. A.K.A. Jehovah Shalom. He is the Lord, our peace. The Lord is peace. And today I believe it's a timely word. I'm gonna warn you up front that there's a lot of nuggets in this message today. And I know I'm gonna get bogged down in the biblical narrative because I love this narrative. 
I love what happens through the narrative, but I want you to hang with me, especially those that are watching online. It's so easy for you to escape. Stay with me to the very end, because at the end, I'm gonna tell you how to live in the peace that God says he's come to give you and I. Turn with me to Judges chapter six. It's where we first find Jehovah Shalom in scripture. The story is about Gideon. I'm not gonna focus on the part of the story that we normally focus on. In Gideon, in Judges chapter six, we see that just before it, in the book of Joshua, Joshua is leading the Israelites to the promised land. And as we see, uh, uh, as he's leading them there, we see, if you read through it, that there is a pattern. The pattern is that the Israelites will rebel against God. When they rebel against God, sin will come in, they begin to backslide. What does that mean, pastor, is that they turn their backs on God. They begin to rebel against God. The Israelites, in their backsliding, led them to be attracted to the things of the world. Their hearts begin to to crave what the ungodly nations around them desired and had. The Israelites desired it as well. And their hearts began to be pulled and they were backsliding and rebelling against God. Well, their rebellion against God was sin and that sin led to punishment and discipline from the Lord. God will discipline us. He will punish us individually and corporately to get us back to him. When our hearts begin to turn from God, discipline drives us to repentance and that repentance brings deliverance or freedom or salvation from the Lord. Well, that's what we see happening time and time again. It was a, it was a pattern. Sin led to punishment. That punishment led to crying out to God, repentance, and God would then bring deliverance. But they would fall back in sin and that would lead to punishment again and then they would repent and then God would deliver them again. Could we learn how to just live in the peace of God and follow God? We would escape the punishment peace. Can I just hear an amen for a moment? But boy, we get stiff-necked. We, we begin to desire like the Israelites, the things of the world. We get attracted to it. Our hearts get pulled to it. And before we know it, we're turning from the Lord. So there's a message for all of us today. You may not be shouting amen, but I know that there is a message for you today. So tune in, and I wanna warn those that are watching online, Don't escape because there is a word that God has for you. Can I hear an amen in the house? Judges chapter six in verse one. Judges chapter six, verse one, see it says, again, again, meaning they've done it before, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They were complacent, they were permissive, they would rebel against God. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord And for seven years, he, the Lord, gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Israel rebels. They rebel, and the result is there's going to be enslavement, and that enslavement is to the enemies that they were supposed to conquer. But because they rebelled against God and they turned from God, they find themselves enslaved. You and I, when we rebel against God, we become enslaved to the power of sin. 
Sin takes dominance over us. What you feed will grow. What you feed will control you. And if you turn your heart and, and, and turn to the things of the world, it will enslave you. That disobedience will bring defeat in your life. Well, that's exactly what we find happening here. And if you're taking notes, I just want you to write really the first principle that we're gonna see from Gideon is disobedience disrupts peace in your life. It gives the enemy an opportunity to oppress you. Oppress you. You're God's child. You're, you're called by him. When you're sanctified and set apart for God, you will walk in the peace of God. But our disobedience disrupts our peace. Therefore, the enemy begins to enslave us. And, and all of a sudden, we see that we're living a life of defeat. That's not what God planned for you. But when you take your eyes off of the Lord, it's exactly what happened. The Midianites that we're seeing here were enemies of God and the people of God, the nation of Israel. Now, they were warriors. They were fighting men. They were nomads. They would be the ones that learned how to live in the desert with the camels. And, and I've been to this very spot in Israel where this, this will take place. And, and you see that, that this was a very rough terrain and, and rough area of land. And the Midianites knew how to live there. The Israelites did not. But God allowed the Israelites to come under the oppression of the Midianites, the enemies of God, because of their rebellion. And here we see that Israel hits its lowest point that it has up to this point as a nation. They're defeated, they're depressed, they're distressed, and the Midianites are oppressing them. We're gonna see how they oppress them. It says the Israelites, the, because of the power of, of Midian, uh, uh, there was so much oppression that the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves. Their housing was now in the mountain cliffs, caves, and strongholds. Wherever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern people, they were all coming into Israel. They would invade the country. They would camp in the land and ruin the crops of all the way, all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel. Neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their life, uh, they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. We find out later in the book, there's 135,000 of them and they would swarm like locusts. It was impossible to count the number and, and, and their camels. And they would invade the land to ravage it. Median was so impoverished, the, uh, so impoverished the Israelites that they cried, the Israelites, out to the Lord for help. I mean, here we see that they're cruel, they're, they're vicious, they're brutal, they're, they're savage. It says here, they camped on the land. Picture with me what's happening is, is any time livestock would start to grow or a harvest would start to come up or you're blessed or you're making progress in your life and you're moving forward, they were camped there ready to come in and just to, to, totally devour it. What I want you to know today is you have an enemy of your soul. 
Satan is camping, waiting to see what he can ravage, what he can viciously steal from you, what he can, what he can take from you that God has planned to give you. If we give room for the enemy, like the Midianites, he's there camping to come in. They were thieves. They were sitting there. They, they, they were swarming the plains, and they would come in, and they would take the crops. Israel's lost all hope. They were not fighting men at this point. They had no weapons, but the Midianites were coming there and they were overpowering God's people just as the enemy overpowers you and I when we open up doors and we allow him to come in because of our disobedience. Remember the point, disobedience disrupts the peace of God. The peace of God is the shalom, power, and glory of God. It's to be in the presence of God. When you're in God's presence, there is peace. Can I hear an amen? Man, I love it when we come and we worship and we go into the presence of God and there's the glory of God. You feel the peace of God. Remember the disciples going up on the Mount of Transfiguration and they were there and the glory, the peace of God was there. So much so that Peter says, we want to camp here. We want to stay here. I mean, sometimes that's just how I feel. I want to just stay in the house of God. I just want to stay in, in the presence and the glory of God. Why? Because there's peace that is there. But boy, God allowed them to be overpowered and it was because of their sin and the consequences of their rebellious actions then brought an oppression on them. And boy, don't miss it. Disobedience disrupts peace. When your disobedience allows sin into your life, there will be consequences for you as well. And if you continue in that sin, then boy, the enemy has right to oppress you and to come against you and to disrupt your peace. Don't miss this sermon today. Don't miss this thought today. Some of you are not living in peace because you have opened some doors and the enemy is camping into your sphere of influence and he's disrupting your peace. For those that are watching online, don't leave me. At the end of the sermon, I'm going to tell you how to live and stay in the peace of God. Can I hear an amen? Well, they hit the bottom, and, they, and, and they're at their worst, the lowest point in their history, and they start crying out to God. And many times when we have nothing left, we start crying out to the Lord as well. And, and, and they're crying out to God, and, and God's going to hear their prayer. Now, crying out to God in the Old Testament represents repentance to God. They're crying out to God. They're repenting. And as they're repenting, they're turning their hearts back to the Lord. Well, when you turn your heart in repentance back to God, what you're saying, what you're saying is, God, I'm leaving that behind. I don't want that door opened anymore. I don't want to partake in that sin anymore. This relationship that isn't right, I'm going to break it off. That which I've been doing that isn't right, this addiction that I've been bound by, I'm going to try to get past it. I'm going to try to break loose from it. What you're saying and crying out is, God, I repent. Repentance means change your hearts. Repentance means change your direction. Repentance means turn from it and turn to God. And the moment you cry out and you repent, the grace and the mercy of God comes and it forgives you. And it gives you a power to overcome the very thing that you're turning from. Can we just get a glory from the Lord? Because we've all experienced that. 
So we gotta stop. We gotta stop running from God. We gotta, we gotta stop turning away from God. We gotta stop rebelling against God. We gotta stop refusing to listen to God. We gotta stop disobeying. Someone just say stop. Just say it louder, stop. Now that's my counseling principle for you today. Just stop. I don't need to counsel you, just stop it. Just stop it. Oh man, you're not very loud there. You don't want to stop it. That's the problem. Stop it. <laughs> that's, why I don't, that's why not very many people come to me for counseling. Just stop it. What are you doing? Just stop it. Stop rebelling. Stop refusing. Stop disobeying. Turn to the Lord. Well, if we go on in our scripture, we look at verse 7. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, uh, he sent to them a prophet. Now, a prophet is one that brings a message from God to God's people. Quite honestly, today, we experience the words of a prophet in many ways. If, uh, if The role of the prophet, let me say it in a different way. God will use messages, sermons, modern day evangelists many times are prophets. They come. It's the office of the prophet that brings a message from God to shake us up, to stir us up, to get us to turn from and to stop what we've been doing and to get our eyes open so that we'll turn back to God. We have to have our ears open to hear. And God would send a prophet. And the prophet, we don't know who it was, said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says to you. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I saved you is what he's saying. I snatched you from the power of Egypt. I delivered you is what he's saying. Look what I've done for you. Man, all of us can say, God, I know you saved me. I know you're delivering me. I know you're setting me free. I know there's something you're doing in me. And that's what God's saying. I did this for you. I snatched you. I brought you out of Egypt. I took, the, I took you out of the hand of Egypt that was your oppressors then. What God is saying is, I've done it for you before. I can do it for you again. But you got to stop it. You got to turn from it. And you got to turn back to God. I'm preaching way too good for you to be so quiet today. I'm just telling you. I know my online audience is with me. They haven't abandoned me yet. <laughs> I drove them. I drove them. Don't you want God to drive out your enemy? I don't know about you, I just want God to drive it out. I, I just want God to, to put the enemy at bay. I'm tired of him messing with the people of God. If the people of God would just walk in obedience with God and see that disobedience disrupts your peace, then we would start seeing some things change in our life, in our family, in our marriage, in our church, in our city, and can I just say in our country as well? I mean, what we're experiencing in this drama is not the will and the plan of God, especially for the people of God. It's not his plan. God says, look, I drove them out before you. I gave them your land. What's the point? The point is disobedience disrupts peace. God will give what should be yours to your enemy. 
what should be yours. Maybe he'll allow oppression in your life. Maybe what you're experiencing, I hate to tell you right now, what you're walking through might just be God allowing it to happen so that you would align your heart back to God. You see, we live in a time where it's all prosperity, it's all blessing, it's all favor, it's all about what God is going to give me. But God says, I will give you the peace if you will walk, and it's gonna be the principle number two, in my peace, in obedience to me, obedience will bring peace if you align your heart. But God is saying, I drove them out. I'll do it for you. I will help you, but you're going to have to align your life to me. Israel had a pattern. They're crying out. And so God says, I drove them out before you and gave them your land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Therefore, do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But... You have not listened to me. So what God is saying is so powerful. You can't worship the gods of the land in which you live. I tell you all the time, we're living in a time and an age where the values of this world do not align with the values of the kingdom of God. If we become like the Israelites that are attracted to the gods of this world and the values of this world, then we too are going to have a disruption of peace in our life because the gods of this world will lead us to disobey the will and the plan of God. So principle number two, I want you to make sure you write it down, is that obedience brings peace. He was the one that saved them and delivered them and released them. He was the one that sustained them and protected them. And he's still the same today as he was yesterday. He was telling them, this is what I did in Egypt for you. And I can do it again right now as you are here at this spring in this valley. And the Midianites Midianites and the, uh, the Amalekites are coming against you. I can protect you just like I did in the nation of Israel. Just like I delivered you before and answered prayers for you before, I can do it again, but you're going to have to turn your heart over to me. In the Old Testament, when we talk about idolatry or when we talk about the worship of gods, it always dealt with idolatry. But in the New Testament, there's a shift with the writers of the New Testament. They don't talk about idolatry as much as they talk about worldliness. In the New Testament, they talk about carnality. They talk about being self-centered. They talk about focusing on and searching for what we desire. Worldliness is conforming to the God of this culture rather than the one true God. If I follow the God of this culture, the New Testament would say I'm becoming carnal or I'm living a worldly life. And boy, we we can all attest that the God of this culture is powerful. The values of this culture are attractive. And we as believers have got to stand guard and we've got to guard our heart because the truth is obedience is what brings peace in our life. But if we buy into the God of this world and worldliness allowed to come into our heart, we'll disrupt the peace that God has for you and I. 
So for all of us, we've got to see that this is a powerful, powerful message. I'm sad to say that quite honestly, what the Israelites experience, I've been pastoring full time as lead pastor of large churches, two churches, Christian Life Center and Vienna Christian Center for the last 22 years now. And unfortunately, what I've seen over and over and over again is on Sunday mornings, people will lift their hands, they'll worship God, they'll, they'll ask God to do a work in their life. But Monday morning, it's as though something has changed and their focus now is on everything else. And if we're not careful, what happens is we fall into the trap. It's so easy to say, why did Israel do that? Why are they like that? Why did they, not, why did they not understand the cycle that was happening? And yet we find ourselves right in the same cycle. Monday comes and our focus is on our job. It's making money. It's our fame. It's our fortune. It's our comfort. It's all of these things, the values of the world. Now, yes, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. That's a message for today. If you don't work, you don't eat. It's not political. It's biblical that we put our hands to the plow and we work and we work the land and we work for our family. It's because of the sin of Adam that now we don't live in paradise. One day we will, but we don't now. We're moving towards paradise. But there's so many values in this world that are against the biblical values and we can't politicize it or we can't rationalize it or justify it. We've got to be careful whose voice am I listening to? Am I listening to the voice of this world? Because if I do, the voice of this world, the louder and the louder it becomes, the voice of God gets fainter and less and, and, and to a point that I can only barely hear him. And it's a whisper. And though he may send a prophet, though he may have a message that's stirring, unfortunately, we receive it on Sunday, but we find ourselves back out in the world on Monday. And if we're not careful, the world has entangled us. This was the situation of the Israelites. They became what's called cultural Christians. The Lord, help me, help us. Help us not in these end days to be cultural Christians. What do you mean? Well, they wanted to be like the Amorites, the Hittites, the Canaanites. They, they wanted to be like all the other nations that were around them. You see, the core issue for them was not political. The core issue for them was not financial. It wasn't social. The core issue for Israel was spiritual. And they would continue to live in sin. And as they would live in sin day by day by day, when they lived in sin, God's punishment would come. God would allow things to take place. God's will is to walk in the peace that comes from his presence. Can I hear an amen? They cry out to the Lord, and as they cry out to the Lord, God heard them. He heard their cry, and he sends the, the angel to a young man named Gideon. Now, i got to make a transition from the narrative now to how do we live in peace, but let me just tell you, Gideon didn't see what God saw in Gideon. And really, this is a three-part sermon that I'm going to just tell you part two because of time and because I don't have three more weeks to preach it to you, Gideon didn't see what God saw. Gideon's hiding in the cave. He's hiding so that the Midianites, remember, they're waiting to plunder the crops 
So he's down in a wine press. If you go with us to Israel, and I hope when we start going again, you'll go with us. We'll go into the, one of those big wine presses. Wine presses wasn't where you would grind out the wheat and the chaff. That needs the wind to blow it away. But because they were afraid that the Midianites would come and steal their crop, he's down there in the wine press. But Israel's crying out to God and God's heard them. God always hears a people and a congregation in the godly that cry out. Let me just tell you. And so here, look with me. Here in, in Judges 6, 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the yoke. And he, and he says to Gideon, who was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep, to keep it from the Midianites, when the angel of the Lord appears to him, he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, Gideon didn't see himself as a mighty warrior, right? He's timid, he's insecure. He's gonna start listing all of these, these uh, reasons that, that he's not a mighty warrior, and I have found that so many times we dismiss what God wants to do because we don't see it in ourselves. But God starts speaking to his potential and God starts calling it out. And he says, you're a mighty warrior. And Gideon says, man, my village is a small village. It's not a, a popular town. I don't come from the big city. I don't come from a wealthy family. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I mean, I had to work and I'm down here working in fear. And God says, no, but you're a mighty warrior. And God's calling him out and he's calling out of him what he wants to do. Well, just going a little forward here, Gideon replied, verse uh, 13, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? Gideon said, if you did it before, why are you not doing it again? But now the Lord, Gideon goes on to say, has abandoned us and put us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Median, well, why? Why, why, why is this happening, Gideon's saying. And boy, there's a lot of believers right now who are just in a situation just like Gideon is. But God goes on in verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel. Can I hear an amen? Out of Gideon's hands, and am I not the one that's sending you? I'm sending you. I'm sending you, but Gideon says, how can I save Israel? How can I do anything, we say? My clan is the weakest. I am the least. I'm the youngest. I'm not very, uh, I'm not very smart or talented. How can you use me? Gideon makes all of, these, all of these excuses, and we often do the same. I want to make the transition, so look with me. Look with me in verse 22 of chapter six. When Gideon realized, he asked the Lord to give him a sign that indeed it was him. And when he realizes that it was the angel, this is called a Christophany, this is when Christ would appear in the Old Testament. When he realized the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, oh, sovereign Lord. We see Christ appearing in the Old Testament here. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord. He built it there and he called it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. 
So today in our final moments, Pastor, how does the story relate to my peace? I hope that you're seeing that your disobedience will disrupt. It will disrupt peace in your life. But when you walk in obedience, it will bring it. And so the question is, and Paul over in the New Testament is where I'm going to end. Paul helps us to see very, very clearly how to live in God's peace. So in our final moments, I want to read this to you. Now, those of you that are in a life group, and I hope everybody uh, is joining groups. Those of you that are in a life group, this is a great passage to talk about, to unpack. If you're meeting today, this week, talk about this passage because it really helps us to understand how to live in God's peace. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, and let me read two verses to you. I'm going to take just a few moments to unpack it. And as we unpack it, I pray that there'll be illumination to your lives. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, he's writing to the church of Philippi. These are believers. It's the church. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, let your mind do what? Circle it, underline it, dwell on these things. So the first thing he says is, you live in the peace of God, because he's gonna tell us at the end of the next verse, verse nine, that this will bring peace in your life. You live in God's peace if you dwell on these things. Let's come back to it. I wanna, I wanna read the next thing. Dwell on these things. Look at verse nine. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do what? Practice, underline it, these things. It's the second thing. And if you dwell on it and practice it, God's peace. The shalom peace of God will be with you. Now in a few moments, this is a whole nother sermon, but it's the practical step. That's why I want to encourage you this week, study it, read it, meditate upon it. Go to Philippians and say, God, how do I dwell on it and practice it? He says, dwell on these things. What things? Well, he says, first of all, dwell on what is true. What is objectively and genuinely true. You see, when we get caught up in false reality, when we get caught up in what seems to be real, but it's not real, it is then deceptive, and that deception is a counterfeit that's fighting against your peace. When we begin to have a, 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 a disillusionment and, and we get all of these illusions of what peace is and it's not rooted in the true, genuine aspects of what God is, I've got to ask myself the question, is this true or false? If you hear something, someone says they said, someone says they, uh, someone said something about you, something that's said in your family or your spouse or one of your children, you've got to pull back and say, is that true? And if it's false, 
You begin to understand it's not gonna disrupt you because the enemy is out to kill, steal, and destroy. And what he's trying to do is disrupt your peace. So if you look at something and it's not true and it begins to pull you, all of a sudden it's disrupting you. So dwell on that which is true, which is honorable, which is honest, that which is serious, worthy of respect, the weighty things of life, the purposes of God in your life. So the question I've got to ask myself when things are happening and something's trying to disrupt my peace is does this honor or dishonor. You see, I think if we would live life trying to honor one another, in fact, the Bible says to try to outdo one another with acts of kindness and love, if we try to honor one another, boy, we'll begin to move away from dishonor. I think what's happened, one of the negative, so many beautiful things about social media and the internet, but one of the negative things is dishonor just flows. Dishonor just flows. And in the church, it flows. Dishonor flows. And if we don't learn to honor one another as we honor the Lord, then we cannot be his disciples because he says that the world will know that you're my disciple by your love, your honor for one another. It's a sacrificial love. It's a, it's a, it's a love that, that gives and doesn't expect back. It's honoring one another. He goes on to say, Dwell on truth, dwell on that which is honorable, dwell on that which is right. Right has the, the, the meaning that it's just, it's righteous. It's a picture of doing what's right even when tempted or when it's difficult. Even when you're gonna pay a little more even when it's gonna cost you something, even when you're not gonna get your way, is it right? Is it just? Are these thoughts right? Are these actions right? Does it lead to righteousness? Is it morally right or wrong? Dwell on what is right. Dwell on what is pure. Now this hits every single and every married person in this room. You see, we can be filled with lust and be married. We can be filled with lust as a single. But when you dwell on what is pure, the root of this word pure is that it's holy. It's spotless. The, the root here is that it's something that doesn't defile you. Boy, lust defiles you. The actions of lust can be many things. The root is lust. And if, I, if I'm pulled into, into something that is not of what God would desire, that lust pulls me into it, now I disrupt the peace of God because I've got entangled with that which is impure. Immorality, adultery, homosexuality, all of it's rooted in the same thing, and that is lust. So hear me, child of God, if you'll learn to discipline your desires, let me say it again. If you will discipline your desires and focus on what is pure, you won't disrupt the peace of God in your life. You won't be dealing with the consequences of the sin. You see, if you get entangled with the impurities of life, and it's okay, you can be quiet for a moment because it hits all of us. 
We've got to learn to discipline our desires. God gives you those desires. They're God-given. There's nothing wrong with the desire. It's how you act out that desire. You see, if you act it out in a way that goes contrary to the will of God and the way of God and the boundaries of what God says is how you should live your sexuality out. And that's in the confines of a marriage where there's been a covenant that's been made between a man and a woman. In biblical times, it was those that were born a man and born a woman that stood together and had a covenant relationship that joined them together in marriage, inside of those boundaries. God has said, this is where these desires can be fulfilled. But the problem is, 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 is that <laughs> the God of our world says it's okay to fulfill those desires any way you want, whenever you want, however you want, it's okay. Now I know our world may say it, and I know our political systems might legalize things, but I'm telling you, God's word is still the truth, and it's the guidebook for us. Dwell on what is right. Dwell on what is pure. Dwell on what is lovely. What, is, what does it mean to be lovely? It's not just that you're beautiful and you are beautiful, but that's not what it means. What it means to be lovely is you're kind, you're gracious, you're tender-hearted. Now just stop for a moment. If our world would dwell on that which is lovely, which is kind and gracious, is honoring, we wouldn't be dealing with this nonsense that we deal with in the world today because people don't dwell in what God would want them to dwell on. You dwell on what is kind and lovely. You dwell on that that honors and builds up. The opposite of this, maybe it's better for me to tell you the opposite, it's criticism. It's judgmental. It's murmuring, complaining, there's vengeance, it's unkind. This is the world we live in, right? It's mean. That's why every week we say, and we should be living it. And boy, as Christian Life Center, we're examples of this more than maybe a lot of other places. And that is that we build up and we don't tear down. We encourage and we don't discourage. Why? Because that's the biblical principle of what you dwell on. And if you will dwell on that, I'm telling you, if we walk together like that, if we show that there's no racism in our church, there's no prejudice in our church, it doesn't matter what nationality that you are. It doesn't matter if you're a foreigner and you don't speak very good English. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Why? Because we're loving, we're kind, we're honorable, we're respecting one another. We're dwelling on what is lovely. Remember the principles today. Don't forget it. Disobedience does what? Disrupts your peace. Obedience brings peace. 
So you dwell on what is lovely. You're obeying. It brings peace. Sounds so simple. (laughs) It is simple. And yet we don't do it. Of that which is of good repute. That which is admirable. It's worthy of praise. Not ugly. Not nasty. But that which is virtuous, worthy of praise. And then secondly, he just says, I got to finish. Dwell on that. But then he gives a, man, it was an illumination for me when I stumbled in it. He says, not only got to dwell on this, but if you're going to live in my peace, you dwell on it. And I want to preach it again. You dwell on it. And then you practice. You practice what? Well, you practice what you learned and what you received. Well, that's the word of God. That's the knowledge and the wisdom of God. That's the revelation of what I'm to be like as a reflection of the glory of God. I practice what I've learned and what I see. Now, practice makes perfect, right? All the musicians in the house, we need to practice. All the ball players, all the athletes, what do you do? You practice. If you want to be a better golfer, you get to the driving range. You, you practice. Practice makes perfect. You, you practice. Well, what we've learned, what we receive in the word of God, obedience brings peace. So I've got to practice putting it into my life. What a revelation. If I could get it into my life, if I could walk in obedience, it'll bring peace. What I learn, what I receive, that's the word, that's the teaching, that's the ways of God. But then secondly, he says, not only do I habitually practice what I've learned, but also what I've heard and saw. You see, that has to do with the testimony of others. That somebody else says, hey, this is how I overcame impurity. Oh, when I found that I had this in my life, this is what I did. When I felt like I was losing the battle here, this is what the Lord showed me. And when I began to practice it and put it into my life, this is what began to happen. When I was facing this giant, when the enemy was trying to do this to me, this is what I did. You see, the testimony of the saints spur us on. Oh, but pastor, you don't give room for testimonies in the church. No, that's what your life group is for. Because there are so many testimonies that you get to talk about it. You get to apply it. You get to say, God, help me to do it. I love it when I'm in the lobby or I meet somebody and as I run up with you and and I get up close, you start telling me what God has done in your life. Man, it encourages me. It's an example to me. And sometimes when we begin to do that with one another and the best place really is in the life group and in our relationship, when you do it, it strengthens you that you say, I can do it too. If they can do it, I can do it. If God's done it before, he'll do it again. If he did it for them, he'll do it for me can I hear an amen Jehovah 
shalom. Say it with me. Jehovah shalom. The Lord is my peace. Today, I know that there are some of you that are not living in peace. And I'm praying that today, this message is an illumination. And I'm praying that you've heard the word of the Lord just as Gideon heard the word of God. What does it do? What does it mean? What do you do with a message like this? As you begin to say, God, help me to dwell and practice. You begin to review in your life. You begin to look at and, and ask the Lord to reveal to you if there's something that's disrupting, if there's disobedience, you begin to repent. You call out, you confess it. You say, God, change it. If there's a habit or an addiction, if there's an attitude, if there's something that's lodged in your spirit, you begin to say, God, unlodge it. I cry out to you, oh God. If the enemy, and some of you are here today, the enemy has been pressing in on you, you've got to begin to cry out to God. And that crying out to God is to break worldliness in your life. And it's to cry out in repentance and say, God, I'm going to dwell on that which brings peace in my life. So I want those that are in the building to stand with me. And in this next song, for those that are in the building and those that are watching online, I want you to take these next few moments through this song. And I want you just to begin to let it be a time of reflection, a time of commitment, a time of crying out, a time of repentance, a time to say, God, help me to live in the peace of God. God is my peace. Jehovah Shalom. Let's cry out through this song right here. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.